The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Hello and welcome to Ascent Dental Radio, a program dedicated to the balance between the clinical aspect of healthcare and the business of healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Coughlin. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Kevin Coughlin, and you're listening to Ascent Radio. This podcast is brought to you by Ascent-Dental-Solutions, and I like to start every podcast with special thanks to Mr. Doug Foresta. His company, Stand Out and Be Heard, has been participating in over 75 podcasts, and without his expertise and his business acumen, these podcasts would not be possible. I also would like to give special thanks to The Vocal Company. They have been supplying over 40 years of dental supplies and products to the dental community. They're a worldwide company and have headquarters in Germany and their headquarters in South Carolina. And a special thanks to Vocal for their expertise in supporting this podcast. This afternoon, uh, we have three guests. The Kellogg Foundation is a foundation that is almost totally devoted to improving oral health for our most vulnerable population, and that's the young children under the age of 18, but particularly those most prone to dental disease under the age of 10. This foundation has been providing services, finances, and expertise and looking for solutions to improve this epidemic uh, situation, which is dental caries and dental disease, uh, primarily in our younger population and primarily the population that's underserved in need of the greatest assistance. Uh, today, our guests are Dr. Mary Willard. Ms. Sarah Wocha and Dr. Taylor Batliner. The three of you, thank you so much uh, for your expertise and knowledge in the subject of improving the situation. And special thanks again to the Kellogg Foundation for their effort and expertise in this area. I'd like to start with Dr. Willard. Mary, what do you think is the most significant problem Uh, for dental education and dental care in this particular population? 
Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, the the biggest issue is access to care, I believe. Um, we have many populations, even in inner cities, that um, have trouble getting appointments with dentists. Um, sometimes in, in places like where I live in Alaska, it's because there are very few dentists in, in our remote villages um, and communities. And sometimes in, in inner cities, it's because uh, the dentists don't accept Medicaid um, or uninsured patients. And if you had the ability to snap your fingers tomorrow with your expertise, knowledge, and background, what would you say would be the single best solution, in your opinion, to uh, improve the situation? Well, I don't think there's one single thing that we can do, but there's uh, one uh, very effective tool is to implement the use of dental therapists in our dental teams uh, to expand uh, access to underserved populations. Uh, Sarah, uh, if I was to ask you the same question, is there anything you'd like to add or delete to those recommendations of Dr. Willard? Uh, no, I think uh, Dr. Willard has hit the nail on the head. Those are precisely the issues that we face in Minnesota. And uh, Dr. Batliner, uh, with your expertise and uh, background, is there something you'd like to add or delete, or do you think uh, that's the significant problem and that's perhaps one of the strongest uh, options uh, or solutions? Sure. So let me just define the problem a little bit more. So I live in two worlds. I have three dental practices in Boulder, Colorado, and around Boulder. And I also am um, the um, associate director for the Center for Native Oral Health Research at the University of Colorado, where we conducted research on Indian reservations. And um, so there really are two types of problems, and, and Mary touched on them quickly. One is that there's not enough providers who take Medicaid. So in my role in Boulder, I'm a Medicaid provider, and there aren't very many Medicaid providers, even though the compensation is pretty good in Colorado. And then in my role as a researcher with Native communities, we see that the, um, the dentist-to-population ratio, which averages 1 to 1,600 in the United States, on reservations such as Pine Ridge in South Dakota and the Navajo Nation in Arizona and New Mexico, has a dentist-to-population ratio of 1 to 4,000 or worse than that. And so it's very difficult for people to, to access care. In, a, in combination with that, in places such as Native communities or in the Medicaid population, the amount of disease is much higher. Um, and so we find that kids at three years old, perhaps on, in, um, in Navajo, um, at age three, 70% of those kids have untreated decay. On the Pine Ridge Reservation, about 55% of those kids have untreated decay in our latest data. So. So there's a lot of issues, and, and we also found that the, the um, Hispanic Medicaid population in the Metro Denver area is comparable with their degree of um, disease to the kids on Pine Ridge. About 55% of those kids have untreated decay. Well, uh, thank, 
the three of you for for that feedback. Uh, I I am a practicing dentist. I still practice. I was actually in my office practicing uh, since seven o'clock this morning, and I deal with all different uh, populations. And uh, my practice is fairly large. We see on an average of about 116,000 patient visits a year. And uh, I am quite familiar with the problem. Since we have a a variety of listeners, in uh, your opinion, uh, Dr. Willard, what would you say the dental therapist, for those who may not be up on the topic they may not be as informed or educated, and sometimes there's misinformation. My personal opinion here on the East Coast, but particularly New England, you have two schools of thought. One school of thought is they're very much against these mid-level practitioners, these dental therapists, these expanded duties, and my personal opinion, it may not be accurate, but my personal opinion is many in the dental community find this as a threat. If we do the SWOT analysis of strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, they perhaps are concerned that there's a threat to their business and to their income. And other individuals may be concerned with quality of care, uh, uh, the ability to monitor the quality of care. Could you address those issues and perhaps uh, sway the listeners how uh, those uh, potential issues could be misguided? Sure. So um, basically, the the dental therapist is a primary care provider, a new team member who brings additional um, services and 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 uh, uh, well, how do I want to say that? Just brings a different um, team player to to the dental um, office. So what we have is a, is a provider who is um, able to provide basic restorative, um, preventive services, and it's typically from the community. I mean. For me, that's the big aspect of what this dental provider brings is, is uh, um, a familiarity with uh, the customs and, and needs of the community they're serving, um, especially when they come from that same community. Uh, it's uh, a way to provide care closer to home, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also uh, having a therapist on, on board is, is a way to provide um, patient um, navigation services as well for services that are out of the scope of a dentist. So what we see in Alaska right now is that the dental therapists are able to provide the basic restorative and preventive services that are needed, and then they can provide referral to the dentist for the higher level care. And um, as a result, we're seeing that um, the dentist are able to um, perform more of those higher level services and are not spending as much time on the um, basic restorative. And and so what you're going to have as a dentist working with a therapist is an increase in your production, um, especially in those higher levels like um, uh, partials, dentures, implants, crowns and bridges, uh, because you've got that because they're doing the, the restoration. So um, we're finding that it's increasing the bottom line 
for the dental and, practices as a whole. And that's possibly a, a motivation uh, to move the dental profession uh, perhaps in a more positive direction. Uh, Ms. Wocha, Sarah, if you were to add or comment to Dr. Willard's uh, uh, assessment, would you agree, disagree, add or delete anything? Uh, I, I agree with Dr. Willard's assessment. And I would also say that uh, if we look at the facts uh, in terms of not only the training, but the, um, you know, what we are seeing when dental therapists are engaged in practice, they bear out that they are quality uh efficient providers. And to give a specific specific example of that in Minnesota, um, dental therapists at our training programs in Minnesota um, are educated side by side with dentists. And when they become licensed, the uh, exam that they undergo is in a blind setting. In other words, the evaluators do not know whether they are evaluating a dentist or a dental therapist for the procedures that they are assessing. So it's completely competency-based. Again, they're trained with dentists in, at the same institutions, and they are evaluated in the same way in a blind setting. Um, I, you know, I think the difference is that dentists are trained to do around 500 in some procedures in Minnesota, for example, and dental therapists are trained to do about 50 some procedures. Um, so they are learning in depth how to do these less complex restorative procedures and they're gaining a repetitive skill set. Um, so if, if you just look at these sort of, you know, um, objective external factors of the training and the assessment, it bears out that they are competent um, and at least at the same level of quality as dentists. And then when we look at how they actually perform in practice, the state of Minnesota Department of Health has done an assessment of all licensed dental therapists and um, have found that they are productive in practice, and there have been no um, confirmed incidents of malpractice since uh, they have been licensed in our state. So again, you know, there are very objective metrics that show quality, efficiency, and, um, you know, expanding access to care. Dr. Batliner, is there anything you would like to uh, add or comment uh, or delete uh, from the previous two uh, experts? Is there something that uh, you'd like to uh, present to our listeners? Sure. Sure. So I, I think the quality is, has been studied. Um, dental therapists have been studied more than any other type of providers in the last 10 years and have been shown to provide quality comparable to dentists doing the procedures that they perform, which is a smaller number than dentists. I think the other thing to consider is that they can operate more cost-effectively. Um, so, for example, in my practice, I pay um, our associates 30% of collections, 
And so let's say they do, um, just to make it easy, $300 an hour. So they'd get paid about $90 an hour. Um, you know, we hire hygienists in Colorado. We pay them quite a bit in Colorado, around $40 an hour. It's reasonable to think that I could hire, if they were legal in Colorado, a dental therapist for somewhat more than a um, dental hygienist. Um, I think that's what Sarah has found in Minnesota. So let's say we paid um, the dental therapist um, 45 to $50 an hour. Um, and then they can do, in our studies of, of their performance around the country, um, around 75 or 80% of the things that people need when they walk in the office. So, so it's a cost-effective arrangement. It would allow more offices to provide care to underserved groups uh, that may be parts of programs such as Medicaid that pay discounted uh, fees, pay based on a discounted fee schedule. Dr. Batliner, I'm going to do a follow-up question with you. If mm-hmm. we could snap our fingers and uh, Based on the information and data, there's roughly 500,000 dentists in the United States at any given time, and my understanding is roughly around 200 to 250,000 are actually practicing full-time. If we could snap our fingers and create another 250,000 dental therapists tomorrow morning, what would be the motivation to have those individuals go to the population and the locations that we need. Is there a solution or a discussion uh, that the Kellogg Foundation and the experts in this area are looking into? So let's just say a miracle happens tomorrow. We've reached through the political quagmire and we've got these 100,000 plus therapists how do we get them to the areas that we need? Well, the first thing is we have to recruit them from those areas. So as Mary has learned in Alaska, um, by recruiting people from the villages and they're trained quickly, um, you know, in um, somewhat between two and three years, um, where they don't lose touch with their home community. And then we found that they return to their community. So that's number one. Number two, If you want to involve more um, people of color, uh, disadvantaged, socioeconomically disadvantaged people um, in the education system, you have to keep it as inexpensive as possible um, because it's difficult for people to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars and then pay that back as many dentists have to do. So keeping the training as short as possible, CODA, the Commission on Dental Accreditation, um, Council on Dental Accreditation, has kept it at three years after high school. <clears throat> I think that's good. The programs need to be cost-effective and quick, and that will involve more people. So um, I, I think those are really the issues. Recruit people from the communities, keep the training as short as possible and as inexpensive as possible so that the people we need to get trained can get trained. Ms. Wocha, uh, Sarah, let me ask you a follow-up question uh, in regards to this, this situation. These therapists, 
How would they be compensated? Do you see this as they would be compensated uh, not only through maybe a clinic uh, such as uh, Dr. Batminer owns, or do you see this as a state or federal government sponsored and they would be compensated for their services and their education through uh, tax dollars in some shape or form? Um, well, what we're seeing uh, in terms of, you know, actual practice is that they, you know, they are compensated as a, an, a credentialed provider with medical assistance and uh, private insurance as well. So they're compensated uh, in the same way that other dental providers are compensated. We're also seeing that they there's um, they are eligible for loan forgiveness, for example. So uh, they are receiving uh, in Minnesota, for example, some government dollars, and they're actually private foundations that are helping to offset the cost of education. Is that answering your question? It, it, it is. Part of it is selfishly. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm not as well educated in that area as I should be. I'm assuming, uh, like Dr. Willard, uh, working in the Alaska area, uh, there are a limited number of private practices. So I'm thinking out loud now on this podcast is the therapist coming from the community would potentially have their own facility because there's not enough dental facilities. And uh, is there an issue or a problem? Again, in full disclosure, I personally am 100% for expanded duties and always have been. I think it creates competition. It provides better access to care. And uh, selfishly, from a financial standpoint, I think most business people, particularly in dentistry, realize that a dental assistant uh, provides an enormous increase and income, and so doesn't a dental hygienist, and so don't dental associates. Uh, so from my simplistic point of view, why wouldn't dental therapists also, and I think Dr. Uh, uh, Willard touched on those bases, but in the areas where there's just not enough dental facilities, do you see any issues or problems with these therapists striking out on their own uh, to create uh, a, a, a more environments for the populations to be treated? Um, I, I don't see problems with that. In fact, the model is well adapted to be able to expand access in regions that don't have dentists or don't have traditional facilities. And, and let me give you an example, again, speaking from the um, perspective of Minnesota. Uh, in Minnesota, dental therapists can practice in any setting in which there are 50% or more uh, patients on medical assistance or uninsured patients in poverty. Um, and that can be a private practice setting. They, it could be a community clinic. Uh, it could be a mobile dental clinic, a hospital, a school-based setting. So there's a large you know, array of settings in which they can practice. They must be in a relationship with a dentist. In other words, they must have, it's called a collaborative practice 
agreements um, so that they can have a level of supervision by a dentist, but they're able to work independently. In other words, in our large state, uh, a dentist could be practicing in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the dental therapist could be five hours away in, e in the wilderness in Ely, Minnesota, practicing. Um, so they're certainly well-situated to do that, and they are, in fact, doing that. Just to give an example of distribution of dental therapists compared to dentists in Minnesota, our most underserved regions are, are our rural regions. And according to the study of the Minnesota Department of Health, right now, 74% of dentists practice in urban settings and only 26% practice in rural settings. Um, and with dental therapists, uh, the numbers are, are, are almost, um, you know, double in urban uh, and half that in, I'm sorry, double in rural um, and significantly less in urban. So 47% of dental therapists practice in rural regions and 53% in urban. So we're seeing better distribution distribution of dental therapists that reflects the community in need. Um, and the last thing I would say that Dr. Batliner touched on is that um, the, the way that we compensate dental therapists in Minnesota is much more sustainable for a clinic. So for example, uh, on average, dental therapists in Minnesota receive $45 per hour and dentists receive $75 per hour. And if you uh, calculate the savings for a clinic, um, and this is really quite a conservative estimate, if they see around 1,500 patients per year, and I'll say that the providers I employ see more like 2,000 per year, the cost savings is $1,200 per week or $62,400 per year. And what we do with that funding is reinvest in uh, our dental providers. So in other words, I can hire two dental therapists for the cost of one dentist um, and they can provide you know, 50 of the most commonly needed restorative procedures in our clinic. Well, first of all, I want to thank the Kellogg Foundation for putting their emphasis and financial backing to this problem. Uh, it has to be addressed. There's no reason it can't be addressed. And with experts like we have on today's panel and the conversation uh, starts to get discussed, uh, action steps can be made. Uh, I want to thank our three uh Speakers and guests today, Dr. Mary Willard, Director of Dental Health Aid Therapist Educational Program at the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. Ms. Sarah Wocha is the Executive Director of Children's Dental Services in Minnesota. And Dr. Terry Batliner is a member of the Cherokee Nation and currently working on faculty at the University of Colorado and is also the owner of Sage Dental Care uh, with three private practices uh, also in Colorado. Your expert opinions, in my opinion, are uh, so important. I can tell our audience, I know that this is a, a difficult subject for many, but quite honestly, it's pretty straightforward. Let's get together as uh, a profession. 
let's recognize the seriousness of the problem. Let's put our heads and minds together and try to eliminate our selfish own wants and needs and see if we can tackle this from a political standpoint, uh, an educational standpoint. As I see it, it's a nutritional issue, a motivational issue, an educational issue. And with experts like on today's panel, there's no reason we can't improve uh, the current situation. I want to say thank you to all three of you very, very much for your expertise and time. I would like to follow up. I can tell from uh, responses that there will be uh, many other conversations and other points of view, uh, but you've been listening to Ascent Radio. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin. Uh, please, for these podcasts and other information, turn to Ascent-Dental-Solutions with a focus on knowledge, consultation, training, and development. In closing, special thanks to Mr. Doug Foresta and his company, Stand Out and Be Heard, for sponsoring these uh, expert uh, podcasts and the production of those podcasts. And I also want to give special thanks to Vocal and their financial support and uh, their excellent products and services to the dental community. Thank you all for listening. This is Dr. Kevin Coughlin, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.